Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all our work at texasfootball.com. You can uh, follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Follow us on Instagram, Dave Campbell's. Uh, make sure and become a subscriber, texasfootball.com slash subscribe. And it's signing day. Obviously, they're, uh, you know, the early signing period has taken some of the luster out, but now we officially have everybody's classes complete. And of course, no better person to bring on than our very own Greg Powers. Greg, how are you doing? Great, man. How are you? Ah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's a, it really has kind of taken some of the luster away from the signing, that hasn't it, that so many kids have signed already? Well, I think it puts more luster on the first signing day because sure. so many kids are going to sign in that first period. It, it gives the colleges an opportunity to press for those early signings to see where they are actually at list-wise heading into the second signing period. So if a school has a lot of success in that first early signing period, it's definitely not going to be as exciting, especially for the recruiting fan, as we lead up and build up towards this second signing day. But now, it's a great day for a celebration. You know, there, a lot of the pressure is off for some of these guys. Some of them did sign in the early signing period, but I think this is could be a good day for celebration for recruits and their families who had a deal and go through the process, but especially the high school coaches um, who have helped mentor and push these kids uh, and help them get recruited, uh, they can enjoy this day. They can give back to the high school, have a ceremony with the guys who have uh, signed now that the recruiting period has come to an end, and uh, the whole communities can now celebrate that. And I think that's a pretty cool fact that people probably won't discuss enough, but it is cool for the high school kid and, and the high school programs. No doubt. How do you think that the early signing period has adjusted recruiting strategy in the states? Well, it's moved up the recruiting timeline significantly. Um, you'll see fresh out of this dead period in the middle of January that a lot of the programs were pushing hard for class of 2020 offers because you really have to have that 2020 recruiting board uh, put together much earlier than you used to have to do it. I mean, at least have pushed that up three or four months because you're trying to make decisions now on if you want to have a prospect possibly come and take an official visit in the spring, which is now allowed by the NCAA per its new rules implemented last season. Um, and the evaluation cycle has just moved up. I mean, you have to make strong evaluations based off of junior tape, sophomore tape, and, and kind of get in front of the game a little bit, so to speak, with recruiting. And it'll be interesting to see how some of these uh, teams adjust to that because if you're not a great evaluation staff, then that product is going to suffer on the field. And I think a, a good thing for us to point at is uh, the decline of Texas under Mac Brown recruiting-wise. When it, they kind of set the precedent of taking early commitments in the spring, uh, it would be no big deal for them to get 10, 15 commitments at a junior day. Uh, by and large, if you go back and look at those lists, a lot of those guys didn't pan out to be top-billed recruits as we saw them then. And will that now affect some of these, these bigger programs that are forced to, to offer and take some of these early commitments? No doubt. Well, let's go ahead and focus on 2019 signing day. Uh, so obviously the big story this year is, is at the top. You know, Texas, obviously another strong class after their really kind of almost historic class last year. But Texas A&M also moving into that sort of top three, top five mark. Uh, how do you compare these classes? Because obviously that's going to, since these two teams don't play, this is how we have to evaluate them right now. 
I think they both did great. They met their needs on the recruiting trail. They had new and different strategies. You know, this is Tom Herman's second year at Texas, and by and large, they pivoted to a more national recruiting strategy with this recruiting cycle, and it paid big dividends, especially as they pressed into California. Uh, just watching tapes of their recruits, two guys who jumped out to me were Brew McCoy, who's a freak uh, athlete who Texas had the fortune of being able to get through his release at USC, and DeGabriel Floyd, uh, inside linebacker from Westlake Village, California. I'm telling you, this guy has a really fun highlight reel to watch, uh, and they need help at linebacker. So I think that that was a, a huge pickup for Texas. But in-state, they did a really good job, too, with some of the top-in names because you're talking about three out of the top ten on our, our newly released 2019 Texas High School Football Hot 100. Five-star Jordan Whittington, who was a state record uh, setter in the championship game at AT&T Stadium this year. Uh, Tyler Johnson, who is an offensive lineman who may have as high a ceiling as any other O-line prospect in this class, and that's a class you're talking about that also has guys like Kenyon Green in it. So uh, Tyler Johnson may have the highest NFL potential out of any of these offensive line prospects in this cycle. And Rashawn Johnson, quarterback who now that things have shifted on that roster should come in and compete early uh, as the number two quarterback. He'll be pushing Casey Thompson uh, to be number two on that depth chart as soon as he steps foot on campus. So, you know, you mentioned Texas obviously at the top having some success. A&M, you know, in the state they get three of the top four kids. Why was Jimbo able to have so much success with this first full recruiting class? Well, I, I, I thought you saw a lot of excitement from especially the in-state recruits as it relates to Texas A&M. I really think that Texas A&M is a sleeping giant, and you're, and you're seeing that now uh, because of the SEC factor, because of the location and the, the ability to tap into great prospects in San Antonio, Houston, Dallas. I mean, it, it's a location that benefits them, and, and they play in the SEC. So that's something that no other schools – close to those metroplexes offer. I mean, LSU is going to come into Houston and get good players, but they're not going to obviously have as large of, of an effect on Texas high school football talent as Texas A&M. Uh, I think the, the prospects in the state value the institution as well, so I think that that's another trump card that Jimbo Fisher has when he uh, hits the recruiting trail. And, you know, that they did a great job. I mean, you mentioned it. Three out of the top five, all five-star prospects, Kenyon Green, DeMarvin Leal, and uh, Brian Williams, guys who are at the top of the list. But even beyond that, they had the most four-stars in our Texas high school football top 100 with 10, and they had the most prospects within that Texas high school football with 100 with 14. So uh, they're flexing their muscle a little bit in-state, and we'll just have to see if that trend continues on to 2020, which they're off to a great start, already securing a, a commitment from a top 10 type player from Cibolo Steele's Jalen Jones last weekend during their Super Bowl watch party. So Texas A&M is definitely flexing its in-state muscle. Out of, uh, out of that Texas A&M class, who are some of the guys you think might be able to come in and contribute right away? Well, I think Kenyon Green has a chance to come in and be the best offensive lineman on their roster right away. I mean, he was our cover boy at uh, on the Rising Magazine for a reason. Uh, it is a position that's doesn't usually suit well to freshmen because they have to make a physical adjustment to take it on the strength, especially in the SEC, of defensive linemen. And Kenyon's a guy who offers some position flexibility. He can slide inside or outside. He can play guard or tackle. And I think that that's um, something to watch out for. 
tight end position, Jay Sternberger really set the mark last year for what they want to do with the tight end. They signed a couple in this class with Baylor Cup and Jalen Weidermeyer, who can probably come in and, and push the needle early. Both guys are over 240 pounds already, which is huge uh, because you want to be playing that position, especially in the SEC at around 250 if you can get them up to 260 pounds. So they're actually ahead of the curve as it relates to being a, a field-ready product uh, stepping on into the game. And, you know, I, I think the defensive backfield underneath the Texas A&M is going to go under a, a bit of an overhaul and there's some young talents that they brought in in this class and Brian Williams, Damani Richardson, Eric Young, all those guys will press for early playing time and I think it wouldn't be a surprise to see a couple of them get it. Moving on a, a little bit, so moving to another Pirate Fat School, Baylor. Uh, you know, they had eight kids in the class and in the top 100, of course. A couple a little closer to the bottom probably, but some pretty strong prospects overall. Uh, what do you think so far of, of Baylor's in-state recruiting this year? Well, I thought they did a really good job. Um, Baylor has really turned the corner for me as as a program underneath the Matt Rule, especially in the last year. I thought the first year they came in, they did an excellent job of finishing out the class, getting some good commitments in that class. Last year they did another solid year of identifying talent and getting guys into that program who could play. And this year they continued that trend. Um, what I really like about Baylor is their ability to evaluate talent. And it, to me, there's a, there's a lot of three-star guys rated on the recruiting websites. There's going to be a lot of three-star guys rated as we expand our rankings at Dave Campbell's. Um, and at Next Level Athlete, we see a lot of those guys the same way um, in that mid-three-star range. But I do believe that there's a huge separation maybe at the top of that three-star list compared to where you're seeing some of the guys towards the middle or the bottom of that list. And what Baylor does is a good job of evaluating those guys who they can land over Texas, they can land over Texas A&M, that those programs may not be recruiting as vigorously at points in their recruitment. And, and one that I think they can really hang their hat on with that this year is Peyton Powell. Peyton Powell had offers from all of – the big programs, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas was pushing for his commitment, TCU, and Baylor was able to win that recruitment. And why? Because I think he sees the opportunity to come in and be a difference maker for that Baylor program. Uh, also, they've continued to do a pretty good job of getting really good football players. Um, Matt Jones is a guy who I look at that's a really good football player, defensive end, uh, outside linebacker type. But on the defensive side of the football especially, they did a good job with those evaluations to me. Will Williams is a guy who I really like. Tyrone Brown, a linebacker uh, who not a lot of people are on, whose pay tape really pops out. And, you know, they just by and large, the list is solid from top to bottom. You know, I, I think they will continue to get better on the defensive side of the football and continue to rack up more wins each and every year as they crescendo under Matt, Matt Rule right now. Well, looking at TCU's class moving over, uh, obviously the, the two sort of headliners are those two running backs, DeMarque Foster and, and Darwin Barlow, excuse me. Uh, how much do you think they're going to be able to contribute? Obviously, you know, TCU bringing back a couple of running backs, but, uh, but run, the running game has really become a central focus, especially as they've had some quarterback issues. Well, I think that Foster definitely is a guy who uh, compliments Shewo Alanalua tremendously. Uh, I think that he's a lightning to to Shewo's thunder and same thing with Darwin Bar Barlow and Foster as they mature in that program Barlow is going to be that guy who can probably step in pretty quickly and take over for Shewo once he's done at TCU um, 
I would say that Foster is the fastest running back in the state this year, and Barlow is the strongest. Um, you can see Barlow escapes arm tackles very easily, runs through tackles, is a middle-of-the-field guy with uh, the ability to hit the home run every now and again, and Foster is that slash-and-cut type of back who can take it to the house anytime he touches the football. Uh, so if I'm TCU fan, I'm really excited about what those two guys are bringing in uh, to the running game because – they can probably change the, the look of the offense. And if you want to take pressure off the quarterback, what better way to do it than with the stable of running backs? And when you throw in the running backs they have on campus, I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch going forward. Well, well again, just looking at the top 100, you know, obviously, like we mentioned, I think A&M's at 14 kids. Texas, I think, at 12 uh, now that they've assigned Javon Shepard. Uh, Baylor and TCU both at 8. So there's a pretty big gap between that and then Texas Tech only finishing with one after Belton Gardner flipped, I believe, right? Right, yeah, he signed with Kansas. Right, and obviously the one that they kept is a big one, Maverick McIver, uh, a, a pretty highly touted quarterback. You know, obviously they've got a new coach in Matt Wells. Uh, is there any reason to be concerned about sort of in that short window the ability to, to sign some more of these kids? You know, my reason for concern at Texas Tech right now is if you're looking at classes as – putting two together you put 2018 together with 2019 and I'm a bit nervous if I'm a Texas Tech fan on what we're doing on the defensive side of the football Uh, they didn't sign a whole lot of defensive recruits last year uh, in the 2018 cycle they did bounce back with some decent signings this year uh, but missed out on a a few off of that commitment list like a Stephen Parker who also signed with Kansas who could have been a a big-time impact player in the Big 12 I think that that was probably like their marquee commitment as the coaching staff changed, um, they weren't able to, to rally and keep Parker on the list. Of course, he had a great relationship with former South Oak Cliff uh, head coach Emmett Jones, who's now at Kansas, and I think that probably played uh, a huge role in his recruitment down the stretch. The trust factor, the relationships, I mean, you can never forget how important those relationships are when it comes to recruiting. Uh, but they've got some sleeper guys on this list. I'm going to just go ahead and point it out. I mean, Trey Cleveland at Arlington could be a really big-time wide receiver prospect, 6'3", 175, 180 pounds. He, he runs really well. And on the defensive side of the football, I, I talked with Saxe head coach Red Barons back in the spring about Bryce Robinson, and he thinks that he has a chance to be better on the college level than Rico Jeffers, who has had a lot of success at Texas Tech. He's really flown under the radar. Uh, Not a lot of people are talking about him in that light. And then Tony Bradford, Houston Touchdown Club Defensive Player of the Year, helped North Shore win a state championship this year. Uh, Doesn't have all of the attributes that you look for in a defensive tackle or a defensive end uh, but he's a position flexible and versatile guy up front who makes a lot of plays I think he's going to create a lot of mismatches especially if they move him inside he's quicker than offensive guards and offensive centers and he's going to be a lot to handle and I think he can put a lot of pressure uh, on big 12 quarterbacks as well so those are three guys for me to watch out for if you could uh, give Matt Wells any advice obviously he's coming into the state after a while at Utah State. What advice would you give him just recruiting to Texas Tech and uh, with sort of some of the disadvantages that you have versus other programs? I wouldn't give him any advice if it was me because it's too early to give it, you know, to see what they're going to be able to do. It's tough coming in midstream, and Matt Wells is, although he's had success at a lot of stops, he isn't a guy who uh, a lot of these Texas coaches and Texas high school football recruits are going to recognize right away off of his name. Um, 
he will build that up over time. But I think they've done a great job getting out of the gate with 2020 evaluations and offers and have kind of overhauled um, overhauled that recruiting department in a way that they're making a little bit more impact on social media with graphics and editing and, and that kind of stuff, the stuff that kids really recognize and that kind of resonates with now in today's recruiting age. Uh, so that would be, if, if I had to give advice, that would be it. Continue on that same path and uh, try to make sure that you're getting kids to look at your program. Texas Tech is always one of those tricky recruiting places because they're going to find good players to come at to Texas Tech. The state just produces that many talents. I mean, you're talking about going 350 deep with FBS or higher signees. So within that 350, if you do a good job of evaluating prospects, you're going to find the right guys to be competitive. And Mike Leach had done it in the past. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury didn't have the wins on the field, but produce some pretty good players. I think that you have to kind of put those two things together if you're Matt Wells to get that product on the field and, and make an, an early impact because it's going to be about wins. If they can get to a bowl game, rack up wins, then the recruits will notice that, especially as they ramp up recruiting. Well, I think that, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about the Power Five now. I think that you can't look at that top 100 without looking past the number 82 player, Carl Williams, heading to SFA. <laughs> uh how big of a coup is it for Colby Carthel to be able to land him right now? And, uh, and how was Carthel's first recruiting class as a whole? Well, their recruiting class is great. I mean, I would, they check in as a top 150 overall team, you know, and that's really saying something to me. Right. And I think they really took advantage of the fact that there were some good players left within the state because a lot of teams who need to win and produce now are waiting on players within the transfer portal. Transfer portal. That transfer portal is going to change recruiting significantly, especially if, say, I mean, I'm, just, I'm not saying this has happened. I'm just saying use this as an example. If a school like uh, SMU banks three scholarships for potential transfers, that opens up the doors for three players who would have been playing at a high FBS level uh, to go to a school like SFA, and SFA took advantage of it this year. You're talking about Carl Williams, who is over 300-pound defensive tackle, one of the toughest positions to not only evaluate talent out, but also secure talent. Defensive tackle is one of the most elite recruiting positions and one of the most valuable because there aren't a lot of guys who have the size and the motor. And Carl Williams is one of those guys. Great first step, super powerful, one of the best bull rushes uh, in the state already. Will he have to get his technique better as he develops? Sure, he will. That's the, the case with a lot of these young recruits. But the tools are there. And I want to say that he's the highest rated SFA signee slash commitment since the inception of the internet recruiting era, which dates wow. back to 2002. So you're talking about the best SFA recruit maybe ever yeah so and, and then you add in a guy like miles brooks who was also committed to arkansas at one point um maybe the number two highest rated recruit uh for sfa since the inception of the internet recruiting era so that's quite a coup and you look down that list and you've got xavier gibson who was at one time committed to smu um gerard mcknight an outside linebacker from cy ranch who had some offers on his list Jaquarian Turner, a running back from South Garland, who was very productive in high school and was a huge get uh, for those guys as well. And, and Miles Hurd from Sugar Land Dulles, a guy who I think went under the radar because of his size, 
uh, but a very versatile player who played running back in high school and transitioned to the defensive backfield in college, and I think that was a big get for them as well. But that list is really solid, up and down. Yeah. Well, obviously, I think that, you know, we can't talk about a new coach without talking about the, you know, in some ways the marquee new hire in the state, Dana Holgerson. Uh, you know, obviously, Holgerson kind of joined the party late uh, just because he wasn't hired until after the bowl game. But, uh, you know, this is a guy who's been around Texas before, who's recruited Texas before, both at West Virginia and also where Oklahoma State, Houston, a bunch of other destinations. Uh, do you think that that's, a, from a recruiting perspective, do you think that that's a plus hire and one that will build some instant credibility? I definitely think so, especially on the offensive side of the football where he's able to say, you know, we've produced these players, they're having success, and they've had this amount of success in college, they've had X amount of success in the NFL, and he's going to have that list well put together. Um, with this class, I kind of think that they hit the reset button and, and kind of bank some scholarships into 2020 as, the, as they reevaluated their roster. Um, didn't press really hard down the stretch except for a certain amount of guys or a certain set of guys to try to get them into the fold. But, you know, they're going to have room to take a complete full class next year. What I loved about what they did this year is the offensive line class that they were able to pull in. Um, a lot of these guys aren't rated as highly within some of the, the ranking sets that you'll find but have really high ceilings. Uh, Patrick Paul, Rodquist Chaney, uh, and Cameron Johnson are three guys who are tackle to guard players and could play either position, and I love that about those guys. They're big, strong, great wingspans, and have decent tape. Technique role on some of them, but the ceiling is very high with all of them. Um, on the defensive side of the football, I really like Ronald Nunnery, who played in the state championship game for Shadow Creek. He's a safety outside linebacker uh, with NFL lineage, uh, big hitter, and really carries himself well in the football field. I like him. And our one four-star recruit for Houston this year is Nelson Caesar, uh, who's a tear coming off the edge. And I think Houston fans will really like him because he's going to get after the quarterback, make a lot of plays. He's shot out of a cannon, so to speak, whenever he pins his ears back and uh, tries to rush the passer. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Well, looking at the rest of the group of five, uh, which classes stand out to you? And which players also stand out to you? Well, I, I like S what SMU did. I mean, it was an interesting recruiting year for SMU because they had some commitments that they lost that were big-time guys like Jonathan McGill, who, I, who ended up flipping to Stanford. Uh, that, was, that was a big loss for them. But by and large, they signed a few guys in this class who I really think can be different makers on the AAC level. Keontae Burns is at the top of my list. Uh, love his ability to possibly be a two-way type of talent. He could play safety or wide receiver. Of course, a lot of people are going to point to the offensive side of the football for him at a school like SMU where he can make an impact. I love T.J. McDaniel. Um, seems like the results for him all season, depending upon you, who you've talked to that's in this industry, have been mixed. He's always been high on my list. I think he could be an impact player, comes from a football family, uh, is used to playing against top talent and putting up results. Uh, and another guy who's really versatile. I mean, I I can't see him playing anything but running back, but there were some schools who liked him on the defensive side of the football as a safety. Um, Calvin Wiggins and Ty Brooks, two more names that really watch out on that SMU list. Allen, Allen's offensive lineman Ty Brooks is a mammoth dude in the middle, play guard or center, and Calvin Wiggins was a late riser from Byron Nelson, guys who, uh, a guy who rose up some lists. 
And another guy I like in that class is Ulysses Bentley. No one talks about him, but he's a speed burner, a guy who can make people miss in the open field. And I think that he'll have a very solid career at SMU. North Texas, Deontay Simpson. Now, that's a guy who you really need to watch out for. You asked me uh, when I came into the Dave Campbell's offices today, North Texas didn't have any players in the top 100. I got some flack on Twitter, so I had to ask. <laughs> so, you know, on that list, a guy who I feel like should have made the top 100 in retrospect is Deontay Simpson. You always get to the debate about who do you leave off to put a guy in. You have to find somebody to take out uh, to put somebody in. But Deontay Simpson was a guy who played well in the state title game, uh, passes the eyeball test, and I think has a chance to really be a difference maker at UNT. And, and of course, they signed the Murphy brothers uh, from Bishop Lynch, Grayson and Gabriel, who will bring some swagger and confidence to the defensive side of the football at linebacker. Um, I think Grayson's upside is higher and Gabriel's more ready to play right now. Um, but two guys who should have no problem getting on the field at North Texas. You know, after going back to SMU just for a second, I mean, I think we have to ask just because of the situation there. You know, Terrence Gibson, uh, you know, their lone quarterback signing in the class, he missed all of pretty much all of last year, right? Yeah. Um, what did you see from him before that? And is he somebody who you think is going to take some time before he's really ready to compete? Well, first off, Gibson's best attribute as a player is his competitive spirit. I mean, he's a guy who uh, loves to compete. He's out there playing really hard, snap to snap. Uh, is a true dual threat guy with a big arm. That's one thing that I think a lot of people will overlook about Terrence Gibson. He has a cannon for an arm. He does, doesn't have the prototypical size. I think that's what probably held some schools back for really ramping up their pursuit in him because a lot of people loved his arm, loved his abil ability to run, uh, but were, were worried about his size. But he's probably a legit six foot, um, right around 200 pounds, um, well put together, smart, intelligent quarterback who is hungry to compete. Now, at the time he committed to SMU, he told me that. He's like, you know what? I love SMU because they are going to offer me the chance to come in and compete to play early. And that's what I want. He goes, I want to be able to compete. And I think they're going to get that in him. He's a leader. Yeah, and quickly back to UNT as well. Uh, I, I was actually texting with a, an administrator over at UNC, and they kind of pointed out they signed all 22 of their guys in the early signing period. Uh, what kind of advantage do you think that that gives a school to get your class basically done that early? It should give them an advantage working ahead to 2020 and 2021. You know, coming out of the dead period, if you don't have to work any 2019s at all, then you should be able to go and put full force up on underclassmen recruiting. Um, making sure that you're getting your coaches in front of those kids to make an impact. The thing that you have to worry about when you're a North Texas-sized school is your early recruiting efforts and are they being wasted. Because you're going to identify some guys who don't have major offers yet that you love, and you may be the first one in on prospects like that. But then Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, and schools like that, or TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech are going to come behind you and extend offers to those same prospects. So it's a, it's a tough situation when you're in North Texas early on in the process with identification because you have to really know who is a realistic, realistic option for you. And a lot of times, even when you really think you have it pegged, a big school can come. So that's what you have to worry about if you're in North Texas when you're, you're doing the early recruiting. But it should have given the, them a leg up in that regard. Well, Greg, I, I think that, uh, you know, 
we're just rolling out recruiting on Dave Campbell's Sex Football now. Right. And, you know, obviously you've, uh, you've done some stuff with us the last couple of months, but, you know, I, what sort of stuff should we be expecting in the, in the upcoming weeks and months? Well, we rolled out our 2019 football rankings um, this week, one, to set the precedent that we were going to be doing rankings, uh, make sure that we have uh, rankings for the 2019 cycle because we will un- unravel from 2011 our legacy rankings. I ha- you know, we're going to have top 50, the four- and five-star pre- prospects from uh, the class of 2011 all the way up into the class of 2019 leading up uh, to releasing the 2020 rankings. And we're going to start with the number one guy, the, our first five-star. And I think it's important to kind of explain the process of how we're going to rate players at Dave Campbell's. Uh, if you're in the top five, uh, you're going to be a five-star prospect when the dust settles on your class. If you're in the top 50, you're going to be a four-star prospect or higher. And then the following recruits after that are going to be three-star, two-star, one-star type of prospects. Um, but the answer is going to be easy. If you ask me on Twitter or if you ask me in person, you know, how do I become a five-star? The answer is you're rated within the top five. If I want to become a four-star, how do I do it? Well, that answer is you're rated within the top 50. Uh, so there will be a clear-cut marker on what defines a five-star and what defines a four-star. I don't know that there are a lot of recruiting services out there that take a hard line on that. They like to be able to walk the tightrope and add stars and take away stars. Uh, but I like a, a certain set of rankings when it comes to being able to identify and define what a five-star or a four-star is, you're going to know the answer when you come to, to our site. Well, I think that obviously there are a lot of sites right now that you're recruiting. Uh, if you're a fan of the state of Texas, why should you pick Dave Campbell Sex Football? Oh, well, we have the most in-depth, uh, definitely for rankings and recruiting services coverage. Our partnership with Next Level Athlete provides us a, an opportunity to kind of go behind the veil, so to speak, uh, see what colleges colleges are getting from a recruiting service uh, our team of scouts there have over 120 years of Texas high school football college and an NFL coaching experience they're true scouts they get paid to be scouts so that's something that's going to be a little bit different when you come uh, to Dave Campbell's when you see all the lists and you know it's powered by true scouting and uh, not media so that's going to play a, a huge role in what we do going forward our partnership with next level athlete and you know we're out in the street seeing these guys those people who have followed me uh, from scout.com and 24 7 sports and now to dave campbell's know that i'm out in the streets watching as many prospects as possible whether it's in games camps seven on sevens we're out there watching these guys and evaluating them and we're going to tap into whatever resources we can to try to get it right are you going to be right every time when it comes to rankings certainly not that's (laughs) never going to happen uh but we're going to try to do our best job. Great. Well, hey, I try not to. Uh, I try not to be a salesman too much on this podcast. But I'll tell you what, we got some stuff, and we've got plenty of stuff that we can't even talk about as yet coming right. in the next couple of months. So if you're not a subscriber to Dave Campbell's Sex Football, textfootball.com/slash/subscribe. Right now, for introductory members, it's only 19.95 a month. Which, by the it's way, great. It's, it's a great deal. It's a steal. I mean, I, I really, I remember when I first started here last year, and. I mean, that's basically the price of the magazines because you get the summer magazine mailed to you early. You get the winter magazine mailed to you early. I mean, that's just basically the price of the magazines. And now we're about to roll out a whole lot more recruiting coverage, a whole lot more college coverage. We can't wait to get started. I can't either, man. This is a very exciting deal going on right now. And 
take advantage of that 1999. You touched on it. I really do think it's a great value because a lot of people love to buy the Dave Campbell's magazine. Well, now you get some internet value behind that. You're going to get exclusive recruiting features if you're a fan of all these programs. Even Stephen F. Austin. We've had a lot of Stephen F. Austin yeah. coverage over the last few weeks as their recruiting has kind of ramped up. Uh, so there's something for everybody, and we have some big plans going forward to make sure that the coverage is well-rounded. And when you come to the to the site as a casual recruiting fan, that you're going to get what you want. You're going to be able to come over if you're a Longhorn fan and get a picture of what's going on with the Texas landscape without having to spend three hours diving behind a lot of message board traffic and uh, reading different articles to get it. It's going to be right there, right in front of your face, and it's going to be easy to digest. Awesome. Well, salesman talk over. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Until National Signing Day 2020, signing off for a bit. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Like I mentioned, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Dave Campbell's Sex Football. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Follow us on Instagram, Dave Campbell's. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. We're already getting started with the planning for the 2019 summer issue. I know it's only February, but that's how far out we have to go to make sure that we give you guys a great product. So, uh, again, you can find all of our work in the meantime at TexasFootball.com. Make sure and check out TexasBasketball.com for all the best Texas high school and college basketball coverage. Until next week, thanks so much for joining us.